it is kind of neat, though. It, it's going to be a challenge for me because normally I see certain people sitting in certain places, and I know who the people are that typically have eye contact and attention and those that fall asleep. <laughs> and so now I'm going to be all confused at who to look at. So stay awake and help me out this morning. Last week I made a statement that I wanted to repeat this morning um, because I think it's important as we walk through this series together. This is what I said. I said, we can only know the fullness of God through a shared experience of His presence in our lives. My point is that uh, apart from living in a Spirit-filled community of believers, we lose sight and have a limited understanding of who God is and how He works in this world. And that's why what we're walking through together is so important. This is more than just how we relate to one another. It's ultimately how we get to know God. Because the church is where His Spirit dwells. The church is where His presence resides. The fellowship of believers is a critical context as to how we get to know God. Now, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read a passage that you'll remember because we walked through it when we went through 1 Corinthians together. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and it says this. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What's important to understand about that verse is the the you is a second-person pronoun. Jason and I were talking about this literally, and he made, uh, lately, and he made the point Uh, He says, if you were to translate that you into Texan, it would be a y'all. So you, church in Corinth, you, Melanie Park Church, y'all are the place where the very presence of God dwells within the fellowship of your love for one another. That's what it means. So learning how to relate to one another is an important part of how we get to know God. But I think there's an even more important reason why this is such a vital issue for us. In addition to getting to know God, we also know that Scripture tells us that the church displays the manifold wisdom of the God. So the church exists not just to learn about God, and and that's important as we come here together, but ultimately how we relate to one another is how we display the manifold wisdom of, of God to the world around us but that only works if what they see in us is dramatically different than what they see in the world so practicing the one another's is actually a part of our mission it's how we get to know God and it's how we display his presence to the world around us and for that to happen the church needs to be a miraculous work of God. As this series has been entitled, it needs to be a supernatural community in Christ. If you go back to the book of Acts and you look at how the church was being formed when it first came into being, you'll notice that there are a number of miraculous signs. The the most important and the first of which was Pentecost, right? When the disciples stood up and proclaimed that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying, buried, and rising again. And as they spoke those words to the people that had gathered, each person heard that message in their very own language. It's a miraculous work of God. 
as you go on, as they continue to preach and teach, they heal the sick, the lame, and the blind. And all those miracles were being performed to validate the the truth of that message that they were proclaiming, that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I want you to notice something. As that local church is formed within the book of Acts, you're going to notice that those continuing patterns of miracles do not happen ongoing. You don't see the same pattern of the same miraculous signs. And so we need to ask ourselves, why not? Here's why. Because the love and unity found within the body of Christ is an ongoing miraculous sign of the power of the gospel to transform lives. You are the miracle. Your love for one another, the unity that you share together in Christ, that's the ongoing miracle. And in the absence of that, we don't have anything to offer. But because of that, we have everything to offer. Life in Jesus Christ. Last week, we began our series talking about the miracle of unity in the church. And we talked about how that was an outcome of the gospel, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Unity is a gift of the gospel. We don't create it. It is a gift of redemption through Christ. And even though that we don't create it, the Bible still calls us to protect it, right? So that's what we talked about last week, how we protect this gift of unity by working through our differences remember forgive one another as christ has forgiven you we talked about how we have to live within our differences so that we accept one another as christ has accepted us we don't want to segregate into groups of people who are just like us we want what we have to display the diversity of the love of God that is seen throughout the relationships of his people from all kinds of backgrounds. So that if Jesus Christ is the only thing we have in common, it's enough because it's everything in our lives. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says it this way. He says, every joint and every ligament works together, causing the growth of the body as it builds itself up in love. The miracle of love. And that's what we're going to walk through together this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this morning and look at your word. We want to be reminded of the significance of the one another's in your word. We want to remember that they are there to help us understand the the gift that we have been given through faith in Jesus Christ, that we love, we are unified, we are ultimately a body of believers because of the redemptive work who brings things together, things that are broken, made new. So, Father, help us to be a people that you've called us to be, a people that displays your wisdom to the world around us because of the way we love one another. May we be that people that you've called us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last week I made the point that if you look at the one another's, which there are about 100, by the way, in the New Testament, uh, if you group them together, they go in certain categories 
pretty nicely. The first one was unity, and about one-third of all the one another's relate to unity. It's a big deal, right? But another one-third relates to this topic of love. So in a sense, you can look at love and unity as kind of the, the cornerstones of what it means to relate to one another within the body of Christ. And I think the reason that that's the case is because love and unity ultimately are the cornerstones of the gospel itself. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Familiar verse, verse 4. But I want you to see how this comes together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Where it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. It says, because of God's great love, he literally unified us with Christ. That love, that miraculous love combined with that miraculous unity leads to an intimacy, a a fellowship that we share with God through faith in Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. Love and unity together combined for a miraculous intimacy. Fellowship between God and man. That's a miracle. So we should ask ourselves, how do we live that out in our love for one another? If that's true, and I hope you believe it is, how do we reveal the the supernatural transforming power of that gospel love in our relationships with one another? Well, to answer that question, we're going to do three things, and you see them in your outline. We're going to walk through them together. I believe that we see the answer found in the standard, the pattern, and the source of love. Let's, let's start with the standard. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And if you would, look at verse 34 with me. John chapter 13, verse 34. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says these words. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, we've only been doing the one another's past Sunday and this Sunday, but we keep bumping into this same phrase, don't we? We learn that we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. We're called to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. And now Jesus turns to the disciples and says, love one another even as I have loved you. So Jesus is our standard. His example is our ultimate goal. We need to ask ourselves, if that in fact is the case, what does that Christ-like love look like? If that's the standard, then how do we see that playing itself out in, in our lives? Well, we could do a whole sermon on the love of Christ and what that looks like in our lives, but let's focus on three very important attributes this morning. Let's look at the love of Christ and, and how it is unmerited, unlimited, and unconditional. Unmerited, unlimited, 
unconditional. It's unmerited because we didn't do anything to deserve it, plain and simple. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You'll notice the parallel to the passage we read in Ephesians. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's telling us that Jesus didn't wait for us to, to pretty our lives up, to get our lives together, to prove that we are worthy of that love. He's not waiting for us to make the first move. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That passage that precedes the one we read in Ephesians, verse 4, at the beginning it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, indulging in the desires of the flesh, and by nature, children of wrath. You were dead. Dead people don't move. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know that we really ever capture the full gravity of that truth. There's a story I heard recently that Paul Harvey tells. And you know if Paul Harvey tells it, it's a true story. But he tells the story of how Eskimos at times would uh, kill wolves. Okay? And they probably have a number of different means in which they do this because it's their way of survival. But this is one of those ways. What they would do is they would take a razor-sharp knife. They would take that knife and they would coat it in animal blood and then have that blood freeze over the blade of that knife. They would then plant the knife somewhere in the ground where it would be stable, knowing that the wolf has a keen sense of smell. And eventually he will find that knife. And he'll begin licking it as he tastes that animal blood. And, and the more he licks, the more insatiable his appetite to the point that he doesn't realize when he has taken the ice away and is now licking the blade and it's his own blood that he's feasting on. Until eventually he bleeds to death and, and dies and they find him there in the snow. Now, the reason I want you to capture that picture is because, in some ways, it's a picture of us. And here's how. A apart from Christ, our enemy, Satan, sets a trap for us. <laughs> and when we taste that sweet taste of sin, we want more and more and more until we indulge in the desires of the flesh to our own destruction that's the reality of what that passage in ephesians is telling us so let me ask you is there anything appealing about that picture of who we are apart from christ clearly god is not moved by our behavior as the scripture says he is moved by his compassion his love is unmerited undeserved but it's also unlimited there's that very familiar passage john 3 16 you don't have to look it up because you know it right for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we see that verse and, and it should tell us that god's love is not restricted to a certain race to certain nationality. It's very clear. God's love is for the entire world. 
His love knows no boundary. His sacrifice was sufficient for all mankind. In fact, turn to Titus chapter 3. This is a great verse that I don't think we turn to enough as we talk about this subject of God's love. Titus chapter 3. And look at verse 3 with me. So Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. You're going to continue to hear a resounding theme as we look at these passages, but look at what is said in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you notice it there? In verse 4, His love for all mankind, including, as it said earlier, the disobedient, the deceived, the enslaved, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't merit His favor, and His love is in no way limited. There's not a quota because the the love of Christ is sufficient for all mankind. It it knows no limits. It has no boundaries. It says, to as many as believe, to as many as believe, to them he gives the right to become children of God. The love of Christ is unmerited. It is unlimited. It's unconditional. You might hear that word unconditional and think, well, that's kind of the same thing as unmerited, right? Same. Well, I I think it's different. Let me explain to you why. I want you to think of unmerited as something that happens on the front end. (laughs) Again, God's love is not triggered by some action on our part, right? We we didn't deserve it. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a, a gift of God and not as a result of works that anyone should boast. So unmerited has to, to, to the idea that we don't do anything to, to earn God's love. Unconditional says that we don't do anything to lose God's love. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Go back to your left. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. This is a great verse speaking of the unconditional nature of God's love through faith in Christ. And I want us to look at this together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed with Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It said, Once you believed, a promise was made. Look again and tell me who made the promise. God does, right? God makes the promise. He says that you were sealed. It literally means to make secure. You were sealed. 
by this promise. The word sealed has this imagery attached to it that we don't think of today, but in, in the ancient times, whenever a letter or a decree was sent out, they would take hot wax and the king would take his ring and make an impression in that wax. It was like his signature. And it was his way of saying, this one belongs to me. In the same way, God is saying that I made a promise. And I have sealed that promise for those who believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that seal says, this one belongs to me. Now look at verse 14 to see what that promise is. The Spirit who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. To the praise of His glory. The promise of an inheritance as God's own possession. This is mine. This one belongs to me. This is my child. So, so we are secure not based on our performance but on God's promise. That's what this says. And that's what the love of Christ is all about. It's unmerited. It's unlimited. It's unconditional. And so we should then ask ourselves, how do we live that kind of love out in our relationships with one another? If that's the standard, then how do we see that? in how we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is the standard. But I also think he gives us a pattern and one that we can follow. Okay? Turn to John chapter 15. Let's go back to John. And let's just listen to what Jesus had to say in John chapter 15, verse 9. Because at first glance, you may look at this indescribable love of God through, through the example of Christ, who is the one that we look to as, as, as our pattern. How do we do that? Well, I think Jesus gives us some instruction about what that looks like in our life. Turn to, again, John chapter 15, verse 9, and look at what he says. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Let me encourage you, please, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus is saying that the love of God flows out of a life of faithful obedience. His point is that when we walk in God's ways, we abide in God's love. It was true for Him. And the same is true for us as well. You see, there's goodness built into God's design. And he's gone to, to great lengths to, to give us his word and, and the guidance of his spirit and, and the community of his people to lead us down that path. You all know the, the passage in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Abide in God's love through a life of faithful obedience. Now again, I, I want us to understand what that life looks like, because some of us, when we hear that, myself included, we start to feel a heavy burden. 
how in the world am I going to do that? Because I sin. I fail. I fall short. It's heavy, isn't it? Well, there's a passage that I just love that I think will help us understand what this life looks like. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2. This is one of my all-time favorite passages. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. The imagery here is that as you trust in the Lord, He leads you down a path of obedience. So it's you step right in the middle of the good works that He's prepared beforehand. And those good works are ultimately gifts of His love. He wants you to have it. He leads you right to it. So when you think about obedience, don't think about something that you're doing separate and apart from God as if you were earning His love. I don't want you to think about the love of God as a payment for obedience. And here's why. If we look at it as a payment, we're not very li- something that we earn, we're not likely to give that away. Just think about your own paycheck, right? If it's your hard-earned money that you blood, sweat, and tears made that money, when you earn it, you possess it, you control it, and you don't want to give that away. But let's just say you won the lottery, and now you're all of a sudden a millionaire, and you got all this money that you didn't earn, it was just given to you. You're much more generous with that kind of money, aren't you? I want you to think about that. Because when we think about the love of Christ, it's not something that we earn so that it's payment for obedience. Did you see who's taking the lead when it comes to a life of obedience? It's God. And as long as we entrust ourselves to Him and seek Him and look at what His Word has to say, He's going to lead us right down the path of obedience. If you follow Him, you will step right in the middle of the good works that he prepared beforehand. And those good works are deposits of his love. It reminds me of an Easter egg hunt with little kids, right? We've all done this. We go out and hide the eggs. It's exciting. They're excited. Hide your eyes. Don't look. But then what do we do with these little kids? We take their sweet little hand and they got their little Easter basket and we go around and do you see an Easter egg in that plant over there? Oh, go get it, put it in the basket, take them over here. Do you see an Easter egg in that tree over there? Oh, get over there and put it in the basket. And then when they're done, they hug, look what I found. Well, when we have childlike faith, that's what a life of obedience looks like. As Jesus leads the way and shows us the good works that he planted beforehand. And he says, look, you can have that. Oh, look over here. You can have that too. And all these are just deposits of his love in our life. You are rich in God's love. And he wants you to give it away. You didn't earn it. So don't possess it. But give it away. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, right before the book of Revelation. 
After James, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7. The love of Christ is our standard, it's our source. Look at what verse uh, 7 says, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be an atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. He's, he's the source. He's the benefactor that keeps our bank account full. And out of gratitude, God calls us to give that love away. Loving one another should be an overflow of the love that we've received from him. In fact, Paul tells us that we are indebted to one another, <laughs> to love one another. Uh, let me show you Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says that we owe a debt of love to one another. Notice that there's no term limits or conditions, right? It's the love of Christ, a love that is unmerited, unlimited, and unconditional. And so like the love we've received from Christ, we are called then to love one another. What if they don't accept it? Keep paying. What if they abuse it? Keep paying. You can. You can stop loving others when God stops loving you. When your bank account's empty, you can quit. But as long as you're walking in the good works that he's prepared beforehand, that day will never come. You have been made rich in the love of Christ. You see, the only way I sin against you is I, if I default on my debt to love you as Christ has loved me. It's the only way. And so when you look at that list of, of sins that Paul, it's obviously not a complete list, is it? I mean, and he says, and, and it doesn't matter, he, he basically says in the verse 9, here's a few, but you can add a whole bunch more to this. His point is, is that in all these sins, the heart of it is selfishness putting my needs and desires before the other person. So 
when I commit adultery or, or sexual immorality, it's selfishness on my part. I'm using you for something that I want. I get something at your expense. In our world today, there's the typical response to that when two people are engaged in sexual immorality. They might say, well, we, we both want it. Okay, then you're both selfish. Because God's love protects God's purity as he designed it. And if you believe anything different than that, you are licking the knife. So we need to love one another out of the love that God has shown to us. And he says there in that, in that verse, he says, if you, it can all be summed up at the end of verse 9. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, that fulfills all of the law. Name any commandment, and, and it will be fulfilled if you follow that pattern. I don't know if that sounds confusing to you. That's always been confusing to me. I think it's helpful to look at it kind of in its antithesis, okay? What's the implication being made here? And it's this. The only way you break the law, the law of God, is if you love yourself more than you love your neighbor. If you use your neighbor for your own gratification. If there is an action that you take that is for your benefit but not theirs. You see? That's how the love of, of God is fulfilled in our love for one another. See, when the whole world revolves around us, there's just simply not enough room for anybody else. But if Jesus is our standard, if obedience is our pattern, if God is ultimately our source, then our love for one another will reveal a supernatural power of the transforming love of God. And that gift of love is combined with that gift of unity. There is a miraculous unity that should be evidenced within the body of Christ. A bond that reveals the redemptive power of love. The, the power of forgiveness and of grace and of mercy. It should be a church that displays the manifold wisdom of God. And so here's my challenge for you this week. I want to challenge you to make love bank deposits in the lives of one another. Love bank deposits, okay? Here's what I mean by that. It, it could be as simple as a, a, a note or a text message of encouragement to somebody. It could be as difficult as an apology. The one that you know you need to make that you just haven't done yet. It may start there as an act of forgiveness to demonstrate love. But all throughout this week, I want you to just think of ways that you can bless someone, that you can express love to them, making a love bank deposit into their life. Husbands and wives, children and parents, brothers and sisters in Christ, love one another. Here's a couple of cautions. The first one is this. Make sure that love is not something you manufacture on your own because that's called counterfeiting. If you're not loving out of the love that you've received from Christ, it just doesn't work the same way. It's counterfeit. And so don't feel like you've got to somehow drum up within yourself the ability to, to love someone 
Instead, go to the feet of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, while you were yet a sinner, died for you. Understand the great, tremendous love that he has for you, and out of that love, then, share love with one another. Make sure he's the source and not you. Here's the other caution. If that's not the pattern, where you are going before him in his word and the fellowship of his people so that his love is poured into your life, you eventually will go bankrupt. And when you don't have any love to give, what do you start doing? Stealing from others. You start stealing from others in order to make your bank feel full, but it's, again, it's, a, it's counterfeit. So don't try to love out of your own uh, ways or your own, um, as if yourself is the source. Don't counterfeit money. And don't try to love in the absence of being loved by God. See, I think this is where we struggle in our world today because we come to church on Sunday and we hear what we're supposed to do and we say, gosh, you know, right? you're right, I need to start doing that. So we sure, and this is especially true for us type A personalities, I got it on my list, uh, love bank deposits as many as possible. Check, 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 check. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it and then I'm going to end up as dry as a bone. Because I have tried to fulfill the command out of my own resources, and I get bankrupt. But if I can be faithful to spend time at the feet of my Savior, Jesus Christ, if I can just look at his word and hear what he says, if I can spend time with his people so that I'm reminded of truths that I need to hear, and that if that feeds into my life, now I have something to give that ultimately found its source in God. And that's the way God intends for it to work. In the absence of that, we're only making things up. So begin at the feet of our Savior. And then from that, feed love into the lives of one another. And from that, we will see the miraculous, redemptive love of God put on display in His church. Amen? I'm going to pray for us and then I have some folks I want to introduce to you, so don't go off too fast. Let me pray. God, thanks so much for the time this morning. And as we continue down this path of understanding the one another's, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. We are bankrupt. We produce counterfeit love when it comes from us. We recognize and confess to you this morning that Anything that we have to offer has to ultimately be an overflow of what we've first received from you. Trusting in you. Following you. Uh, walking in the good works that you've prepared beforehand. Seeing those as deposits of your divine love in our life. Father, help us to be the people who display the supernatural community of Christ. That supernatural love of God. And the way we love one another. And this week, I pray that we're particularly good at that that we are mindful of how to care for and make love bank deposits into the lives of those around us in meaningful ways. By the power of your love and your grace and your mercy towards us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Carol Goldwater and Wes and Sarah, if y'all would come forward, please. And Bree. So, Russell was talking earlier about 
the family conference that we have coming up. And the real privilege that we have within this body to see multiple generations represented. Well, here we have multiple generations that are a part of this church family. This is Carol Goldwater and her son Wes and his wife Sarah and their daughter Bree. And so these are three generations right here represented before you. And they have chosen to make Melanie Park Church their church home and to be a part of this family so that we can uh, love one another as God's called us to. So let me encourage you. Maybe your first deposit this morning is to come uh, introduce yourself and, and welcome them into our church family. Let me pray for Wes and Sarah and Bree and Carol. God, thanks so much for your love for us and for Carol and Wes and Sarah and, and, for, and, and for Bree and, and for their desire to be a part of this church family where they can be loved and loved. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be in our love for one another. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. Thank you.